Welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. As Partick Thistle was short on numbers on Saturday, we are short on numbers on the podcast today. So joining me to look back on Saturday's defeat at home to Dunfermline and a look ahead to the next two League Cup games is David Forrest. David, how are you? I'm doing well. Obviously, we're going for an injury crisis, but Scally says that um, Jamie will be back for the air game. So, you know, um, you know. All to look forward to. Um, but yeah, um, I'm excited to talk about an actual competitive game. That's good, yeah. Uh, the, the Euros has had a knock-on effect on player availability, of course. We'll jump straight into the Dunfermline game. We've got one listener question about the Dunfermline game, David. It was from Ross Alexander. He's asked, given it was the first game of the season and a step up in opposition from last season, are people overreacting to the defeat on Saturday? Um, so just want to tackle that one first and give us your your general thoughts on Saturday's game. It was like the weirdest game I've ever seen us play. Like I did I did the cardinal sin. So first twenty five minutes we were excellent and like we were all over them. The Ferlin were quite pish for the first twenty five minutes and we were all over them. And um, when Graham scored that goal and you could hear everyone cheering how much it meant to him and the fans and stuff like that. I was like, this is a fantastic moment. What a moment to be here when this happened. This is this is exactly what I've waited for. And then we conceded four goals. <laughs> just to completely piss on my chips and just ruin the moment. But like on that based on that twenty five minutes, I was sitting there and I was like, we're great. We're actually really, really good. And I was like Attacking, we, like they're so confident and uh, passing to each other and stuff like that. Like they look so confident, and I don't even feel that the defense is that shaky anymore. You know, I feel quite confident in the defense, which was clearly my mistake that I've caused this by saying that I'm quite confident in the defense and actually think that, that they've been quite good recently. Um, like four two, I think flattered them. It could have been five each. I'm not gonna lie. It, like it was all over the shop. We had so many chances. I think we hit the post. I think we hit the bar. We missed a chance. We missed a chance near the end as well. We had chances all over the place in the first 25 minutes and see the last half hour. But then at the end of Fermland, we're cutting us open and had chances as well. It was it was a chaotic game, but I don't think it was necessarily a 4-2. I don't think the Fermland deserved the 4. For me, the biggest thing was the defence is coming in for quite a lot of criticism. And I think a lot of people are saying, oh, we need to sign two centre-halves and another full-back. And I think McCall has recognised if Brownlee is out long term, we are we are a centre half shot. And we touched on this on the podcast last week. We sort of said I, I said I think we're okay in the defence with the, the sort of options we have. Whether Holt covers with McKenna coming into cover, Senna should be available soon, and obviously Owen and Bell has started on Saturday. I don't think it was the personnel in the back four of the defence that was the problem on Saturday. It was the fact the entire back four 
played such a high line, and that's probably because we were so dominant for 25 minutes. And like you said, David, the confidence that you had after 25 minutes probably was shared by the players. They probably thought, oh, we're a goal up. They're putting us under absolutely no pressure. We can squeeze right up the park here. And us as a back four can have quite an easy day of it. And as soon as Dunferman put a ball over the defence, that was them in. And it's not a back four that can run. None of them are runners. Tamil Ware maybe used to be a quick defender, and I'm not saying he's slow now, but I don't think he's as quick as he was before his two or three injuries that he's had. And that was basically the story of all of Dunferman's four goals. They weren't glaring individual mistakes by defenders. It wasn't glaring individual poor defending. It was the defensive line was just so high. And it did take Dunferman half an hour to recognise that. And maybe it was by chance more than any sort of skill because they, it did take them half an hour to get out of the pressure we were putting them under. But once I would they, say when they went one each. Once they put a ball over our defence, that, that was them. They just thought, we'll just do this every time. And they scored four goals in about 20 minutes of play by just doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just a pure light bulb moment because when it went to one each other, I was like, alright, we've been caught out there, but that'll be fine. Like, the Fairman have offered nothing in this game. Oh, wait, oh no, they're doing it again. Oh, fuck, right, cool. And, then, and it was just, yeah, it was just chaos. I would say, in terms of people like, overreacting, like, I'm mixed on it. Like, we are still able to get out of the group. Like, if we beat St. Mirren, <laughs> we can get out of the group. And I know that's a big ask, okay, if we can beat Premiership side St. Mirren, but even then, like, St. Mirren probably. I don't think they'd had any friendlies uh, before the League Cup or anything like that. Like they'll be, you know, they they'll be the same as, as ourselves in terms of, you know, fitness getting fitness up. And like we do see regularly in the League Cup groups where teams, you know, will slip up. Hearts have done it. You know, um, Dundee United have done it and stuff. And Hamilton Aki's and stuff like that. There's no reason why they can't beat St. Mirren. And if we do that and beat St. Stenhouse me on the bat, and we'll still go through, but. It's, yeah, it's just it's just one of those things where we get caught out. And like, it was very strange because it was funny. It was, I think it was Reese Haldane um, said last week. He's like, "Oh, look at who Dunfermline and have todded of. Who he just just like Haddies doing the championship carousel, man. I'm not really impressed him and Todd of just absolutely total defence to shreds. <laughs> just like, just yeah. I don't know. You, you say that, but. And I know Dunfermline fans, or Dunfermline themselves, will have watched us and go, they're, they're no great shakes. All Dunfermline did was chip the ball in behind our defence. And I'll go back to it. I don't think it was any individual defender that's the problem. And I, obviously, I think McCall is going to bring in another centre-half. But unless we bring in a very quick defender to continue with the high line, we will have to drop 15, 20 yards. And if we do drop 15-odd yards, that back four to me, is fine. I know people aren't huge fans of aware. I know there's maybe question marks about Foster at his age taking the step back up to the championship, but to me, that back four is fine, and I think there was a lot of positives from Saturday, which I think we should come on to now, because we did play some very nice football, and there was I saw a couple of comments saying people who think that um, the, the squad, which is a similar to squad to last season, who struggled for most of the League One season, will come up and win a lot of championship games are deluded. You look at some of the games we played in League One last season, some of the performances, I think Forfar at home, I think Peterhead at home, where we were very slow on the ball, struggled to create much. That was not the case on Saturday. We were creating plenty of chances, and even in the periods of the game, Modern Firmware were on top. 
we were still creating a good amount of chances. I thought Kyle Turner had a, a another good game. He was impressive at Kelty. I thought he had another good game. Brian Graham looked like a threat. My only concern, I'll let you come back in a minute, David, is um, Scott Tiffany has been marked out of games at the moment. And I think we do need a right-sider who offers almost as much threat as Tiffany so that he gets as much attention on the right side so that it frees Tiffany up a bit. Because at the moment, we are seeing Conor Murray and Ricky Foster get a lot of space and time on the ball. And to be fair to Conor Murray, I think he's had a, a decent start to the, the season in the friendlies. And on Saturday, I thought he was decent. But somebody yeah. at, Tif- at Tiffany's level who can score the goals that Tiffany scored and provide the chances Tiffany provided last season, because at the moment, he has been marked out of games and that's going to be a problem for us. It seems like they have very much character code where they've seen how how effective he was for us last season. They go, right, just mark him out of the game. And then um, you, you can kind of nullify it a wee bit. But no, I, I would agree like, in terms of our confidence that they were playing really well. I mean, even against Rangers in the friendly, um, you know, yeah, the first the first half it was you know maybe sort of a closer to a B team than a full team. But even then, they are they are Rangers first team members. They're not shite. You know what I mean, like they are there for a reason. And there was lots of you know, first team players who were there. And we we were by far the more confident side. It was something I'd never seen from us. And then we kind of brought that into the Dunfermline game as well. And I, I, yeah, you can see that they really love playing with each other. Even then, like Foster as well. I thought Foster's played quite well in the friendlies and against Dunfermline. I've really enjoyed watching him, mainly because I get stuck in row C, pretty much marking him for the whole game uh, when I'm watching the, uh, the when I'm watching the games ever. So I've I've seen a lot of Foster because he's always on my side and I'm literally the barrier. So um, I thought he's done quite well as well. And I would like I would like to posit the question to you: if you if we had played, say Senna instead of O'Ware or Bell, do do you think we would have conceded four? Cause I'm I, not I sure. A... There's no way. There's no way saying we could have conceded four. I don't think we would have conceded the four goals yeah. um, in that manner. I don't think um, with a quick defender like Senna in the back four, Dunfermline would chip balls over the top and Todorov would be able to run away from Senna. I don't think that would happen. Dunfermline yeah. would have probably posed different problems to Senna. You know, Senna's got his weaknesses that perhaps Bellner were a bit stronger at, but it was the manner it goes. And I think Ian McCall said it himself on Sportsland, I was listening in the car on the way home, the goals were such poor goals that we were attempting fate but we're surely not going to give those sort of goals away, four of those goals away every week for the season You do know that's going to be an intro in about six weeks Oh, I are 3-0 down at our growth Yeah, um, I know yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I yeah, like, again, I don't think we should blame O'Bell or, or um, aware um, for it. It was just the defensive line was so high, it, it, it left them exposed a little bit, and that you know that is just what it is. Um, and like, yeah, it's kind of needs must because obviously Brownlee's out. We've got people isolating and stuff like that. But yeah, it's going to be difficult. But sorry, there was there was a lot of positive. We should say, of course, like the def- they do the individuals in the back four do need to take some responsibility. I think. It's maybe especially Bell because he has the experienced one and maybe Foster too that they should have recognised, okay, we need to drop back now because that's happened once, it's happened twice. We need to, as players, drop off quicker and there is an element of that on the players. Um, how you split that blame up between the players and coach and like everyone else, their different thoughts on that. But there's some responsibility on the players and we know Bell's a talker. 
O'Leary's just back from injury, so maybe he's a, a wee bit rusty. But I, I th- it, that that sort of goal should be an easy thing to fix. That mm-hmm. I, I know I'm tempted to fit again, but <laughs> we should not see players running through clean through on goal from the halfway line every week to just be one on one with the goalkeeper two or three times a game. Like that should just not happen. And I know there's people out there who aren't huge Tamil Ware fans and maybe are a wee bit doubtful about Bell at this level, but they're experienced, solid campaigners at this level and they will not allow it to happen week in, week out. Joining David to preview Saturday's tie at Stenhouse Muir is Craig G. Telfer. by Craig G. Telfer to discuss the upcoming Stenhouse Muir game. Craig, how are you doing? You all right? I'm great, David. Thank you very much for asking me on to the show. Really looking forward to talking to you. No problem, good stuff. Well, we'll just get straight into it. Obviously, Fiss will play Stenhouse Muir tomorrow in a game. It's away at Oakville View. And just wanted to, obviously, there's been a lot of buzz about Stenhouse Muir um, and the preparations they made for the season, Craig. So if you want to run us through how you know how you feel that um, Stenhouse Muir's pre-season has lined up, where to start, to be honest? We, our new manager, Stephen Swift, came into the club. He replaced David Irons, I think it would have been in April. And Stephen Swift was previously a manager of BSC Glasgow, now Broomhill FC in the Lowland League. And he had quite a, a pretty relative degree of success at, at BSC Glasgow. They're not one of the Lowland League teams who have got loads of money to spend, like a, a Kelty Hearts or an East Kilbride. And it was a case that he was signing guys who had been discarded by SPFL clubs and they tended to punch above their weight, BSC Glasgow. They, they tended to do quite well. And I think that when Irons left the club, there were a number of candidates that were interviewed for him. And Swift was, I, th- I think, generally the, the, the popular choice amongst a lot of the supporters. And... What he's done since he's come in, he has gutted the squad over the summer, gutted the squad of all the players that were there last season. There are only three left at the club, and two of them are, are there because they had uh, like, uh, contracts. They were, they were signed on, on 24-month contracts, two-year contracts. And the other one's a young guy who actually came back from quite a, a serious illness, and the club had, had given him a contract extension. I'm not sure if uh, Swift had anything to do with that, but he was given a contract extension. So three players left from last season's club, and it is, it is virtually a brand-new side that we're going into the season with. Swift signed six players directly from BSC Glasgow, and he signed another four players who he had previously worked with at, uh, at the Rex, uh, wherever it is at BSC Glasgow play. So he signed guys that he, he trusts, guys that he knows well, guys that can assimilate into his dressing room well, guys that know his uh, his preferred style of play. And on top of that, he's brought in some better known players in from from the SPFL. Like Sean Crichton came in from Air Jonians. He's the he automatically became the captain. Nat Wedderburn, Ross Forbes, of course, will be very well known to Partick Thistle supporters. Um, Robert Thompson came in from Aloe Athletic. Uh, Adam Brown came in from Aloe as well. Uh, Tam Orr uh, had a very good season at Stranart, worked with Swift previously at BSE Glasgow. So there's an interesting mix there of established campaigners and young guys who have perhaps got a point to prove. And I, 
I'll be honest, I was a bit sceptical at first. I thought the, the signing process kind of lacked a bit of imagination. If a, a manager's coming from Lowland League and he's signing players exclusively from that level, are they good enough to make the step up to, to join teams in the SPFL? Were other SPFL teams interested in these guys that he, that he brought in from BSC Glasgow? Um, but a lot of my uh, scepticism is, is dissipating because of how well we've done in pre-season. The first time I saw the New Look team, they beat Syngenta, a fairly low-ranking team in the East of Scotland League, it must be said, but they beat them 8-0. They've beaten Spartans 5-1, and on Tuesday night, they, they beat Dumbarton in the League Cup 2-1. And you can say that Dumbarton aren't a very good side. They had players missing through COVID or injury and whatnot, but Stennis were the better side, particularly in the second half. Stennis were really, really good, and I... I don't want I'm, a top four is what I'm going for. Sorry to I've given you a really long winded answer there, but top four is what I think this club can achieve uh, next season. I think Kelty Hearts will win the division. I think they are a, a, a really strong side on paper. Loads of SPFL experience. I think Kevin Thompson's quite a highly rated coach as well, who knows how to get the best out of him, despite the fact that it's maiden season as a as a manager. But uh, yeah, that's a long and long-winded answer there. To think, I think Stennis Muir might challenge for the top four this season. Sorry, David. No, no, that's absolutely fine. Um, obviously, you you beat Dumbarton um, on Tuesday, so I mean, I'm always interested in like how how does Stennis Muir treat the League Cup? Is it something that you go into trying to get something out? I mean, I don't know if you're too many of you are are realistically expecting Hamden or anything like that, but is, is the League Cup um, a, a, an extended pre-season for you? Yeah. What, what's, the, what's the general vibe amongst the fan base? Yeah. You've, you've, you've called it right there, David. So extended pre-season is the best way to, to describe it. Our pre-season campaign has mostly been against like lower-ranking teams, like teams from the East of Scotland. They are teams from the, the Lowland League. And because the... the the season's quite truncated and you're going back into it very, very quickly. You don't get a chance to necessarily play trialists and so on. I think for a lot of League One, League Two sides, a lot of part-time teams essentially, they do treat it a bit like pre-season. I expected us as the lowest ranking team uh, in that group. You know, Dumbarton aren't, aren't fantastic. They're a league above us. Then you've got Thistle, Dunfermline uh, and St Mirren. I expected us to lose every game. So the fact that we're going into a game against uh, against this with something to play for uh, that's quite exciting although I, I fully expect us to lose the remaining uh, three games in the in the competition but it doesn't bother me you know the fact that we don't get to the group stages I don't think you'll find a Stennis Muir fan there who is in, entirely bothered about that I think it's all about just seeing the building blocks in place for the season ahead getting an idea of what the team's going to look like, get an idea of what the manager wants to do, look at some of these players that you haven't seen before, seen their qualities, and hopefully they can just uh, give a good account against themselves against full-time opposition. Definitely. I, yeah, I mean, I think there, I think there is a bit of a, a subsection of Fissile fans. We are, I think we're kind of 50-50 with the same, the same idea where we're not like, League 2, but we were in a premiership group recently, so like I'm a deluded optimist and think that we can win the League <laughs> Cup every time. But um, year, years have gone by and proved me that is not necessarily the case. But I think for a lot of people, including people on this pod, maybe just treat it as an extended preseason. You try and yeah. get to the last sixteen, and then go from there. If you get if you get beyond that at the quarterfinals, you know anything's possible at that point, unless we draw Celtic. Yeah. To ask your question, David, do you think Thistle can get out of this group stage? I, I do. I don't see any reason why we can't beat St Mirren, to be honest. I think because if we beat St Mirren, I think we can easily get there. We kind of have to hope Dunfermline do us a favour and beat St Mirren, which, again, 
you look at the you know previous years in the League Cup, um, you know, Hamilton Ackies, for example, routinely lose to yeah. teams I, I've been to games that they've you know they've lost to like teams like Albion Rovers and stuff like that. St Mirren as well have had results where they've been defeated, hearts, you know, against Peterhead and East Fife and yeah. stuff like that. There's no reason why you can't you can't beat a team like St Mirren. So I, I, I do think we can get out of it. I think I think it's very handy because last year um we had St Mirren on the first day we hadn't played for seven months. We could beat four one because well it was our first game in seven months and we're playing against a team they've been playing for about two three months in regular competition. I think now mm-hmm. that it's sort of there's been a reset and we're both on an even keel with that. They'll be in the same boat as us, you know. They'll, mm-hmm. you know, they'll have the same issues, you know, in terms of fitness and stuff. Like that, arguably, more so than us because we played such a extended period, what six weeks ago, where we played yeah. like eight games in a row. Where we're not going to be that rusty, seeing as we played lots of games only six weeks ago. Um, so no, I, I definitely think we can. I don't, I don't know if other Fisker fans think that way. To be honest, <laughs> again, I am the deluded optimist, but. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I, I think we can. I think we want. We played really well for the first twenty-five minutes against Infermline. Yeah. Um, but we played so high up in our line that literally just pinged balls over it, and we had two centre halves that one that's came back from two major injuries, um, and another one who is in his mid thirties at this point. Is that uh, Pat Moore and Stevie Bell? Yeah, um, not in, who may be lacking a bit of pace um, at, the, at the moment, certainly. Uh, we don't know about all whether he will regain that pace, but yeah. it's his first game in what? I think, uh, Long time. Yeah, he played, he played against Rangers and played maybe one of the pre-season friendlies. Before that, it was literally a friendly, as in like our first friendly after the restart. So he literally went, he'd been injured, came back, Got in. Um, there was a shutdown for seven months. He came back, yeah. played one game, and then was out again for the whole season. So mm-hmm. you can't really expect him to be, you know, breaking Usain Bolt 100 meter records or anything straight out of the <laughs> gate. You know what I mean, but um, it was interesting you mentioned about Stenhouse Muir, about sort of Peter Grant coming in and sort of totally gotten the side and bringing in players that he knew and ransacking his old club. It, it very much had. A lot of, it brought to mind two uh, fistle managers for me. First of all, the um, Jackie McNamara, um, who when he moved to Dundee United took a few of players yeah. to uh, Chris Erskine. Yeah, wasn't yeah. It took. yeah, exactly. And um, and I still boo him when he was on Pointless okay. um, a, a couple of months ago. But and as well as that, I think you have to look at sort of McCall as well. Uh, McCall's always been able to foster a very good squad mentality, you know, he gets players, he, he has a vision. We we go on all the time about McCall ball, despite the fact nobody knows what it actually is. Um <laughs> and about how like the team at the moment are really, really bonded and they feel like a team like a unit and McCall has really built them into this vision where players that oh, I think I think after the the end to the season there where I mean what when Thistle went on a run they were in sixth they began that run they were in sixth or seventh and there was talk that they might not actually make it into the top four and to go on that incredible run win the league at the, at particularly the expense of Falkirk of course that is incredible and of course you know a, a winning team is is broadly a, a a very happy team so imagine that during that run when, when that season was, was coming to its conclusion and, and Thistle were beginning to stretch ahead against the teams that dressing room must have been incredible 
to be in. Definitely. And there's lots of players there that maybe wouldn't necessarily have went to League One, like Doherty and Foster, that could have found a, you know, a team yeah. elsewhere. That, but they, they bought into the vision and they came here. And it's, it's really worked out for us. And I, I can definitely see a parallel with Stenhouse Muir with that, where you, he's bringing in players that he's used before. He's bringing in players that have kind of been around this system and, and he's worked with before that he can just slot That's, in a team. It's interesting that you say that, David, because you're talking about guys there. I mean, I think anyone who, who's watched like Championship football, League One football, knows what kind of player Ross Doherty is. You know, Ross Doherty is a very capable central midfielder, someone who's really good at just dictating the tempo, doesn't really do anything fancy, can sometimes break forward in uh, carrying the ball. So you know what you're going to get from Ross Doherty. Likewise with Ricky Foster, you know, dependable like old warhorse at fullback with terrible clothes. And, and and so so you 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 in your head when you when you say we're signing Ross Doherty you're like great I know what we're going to get we sign guys at Stenhouse Muir that guys I'll be honest with you, I'd never heard of before like the goalkeeper we signed a guy Ryan Marshall uh, uh, Ross Lyon who's who's a, a fullback that was previously at Clyde Jamie Mills uh, the, the 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 left back guys like Declan Hughes Michael Anderson um I had I had never heard of those guys before so. For me, signing those guys, it wasn't like, oh, great, the manager's worked with in the past. We know what these guys are like. In this case, the manager's worked in the past. I have absolutely no idea what to expect. Is the manager overestimating what it takes to make a success in, in League Two? Are all these guys good enough to make the step up en masse? So so I think for, for me at that point, that's something I, I found quite difficult to get my, my head around was what this what this team was going to look like, what these players were, were um, and, and what they could do. Nothing about the, the manager's obviously trusts them and he knows that they're good boys to have around but it's just are they good enough fundamentally that's been let's be honest that's the most important thing can they do it on a, on a Saturday afternoon and still don't know still looking forward to finding out if that's going to be the case at the Warriors Is that exciting? Is it exciting just having a complete clean slate of players coming in that you don't know and they could be the next Pelly, they, they could be, <laughs> could be rubbish. What is that exciting, or is that just terrifying? Because I feel that with Fissel, that would be terrifying. But I don't know if other teams are maybe quite exciting. You know something? It's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. When the season fizzled out for us, we at one point were looking as though we, we could have challenged and got into. You know, when the, when the league broke off into two, at one point we were looking as though we could have got into the the top half of the table. We played Stranraer and lost 4-0, we can see three goals in the space of four minutes in that match. And within that four-minute period, like the season's finished. The season's absolutely finished. And Stennis, we were absolutely abject from, from that point onwards. And this, this with a trap door having opened at the between League 2 and non-league football, the Highland League and the Lowland League, there's a, there really is a real degree of anxiety that you can get suckered into that vortex because it's as we've seen from the teams that have gone down there, like Berwick Rangers and East Stirlingshire, once you go down there, it's very, very difficult to get your way out of it. You know, it's what it could, because yeah. it's one thing you can, very competitive league, the Lowland League. Mm-hmm. It's one thing finishing top of that division, but then it's another thing entirely to negotiate your way through the playoffs and get in to the the SPFL. So, so when you drop out, that's that's anxiety there. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that I think Stephen Swift is perhaps the Stennis Muir's most important managerial appointment. Perhaps certainly since I've been following the club, and, and dare I say it, perhaps the perhaps the club's history, given what what's at stake here. I know people will say that. That oh the club will still the club if if Stensier do get relegated the club will still be there the fans will still be there you'll still be playing at Oakville View and so on but 
I like the SPFL. You know, I like being, I like the prestige. And I know you can't see me, but I'm using prestige with a massive inverted commas there. Uh, all, as much prestige as one can possibly have by following a team in uh, in, in League Two. It's silly, but, well, I was going to say, as silly as it sounds, you get your name read read out in final score every week. Yeah, you don't totally. know Roland, and that like it's those sort of things where like teams like Stenhouse, Muir, Albion Rovers. Cowden beef like I I I have a big soft spot for Albion Rovers. I used to have a season ticket back when they sold it for a tenner and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I have a big soft spot for them, and I I, I follow on from sort of a distance, like watching them and QP as well, and that trapdoor opening. And like yeah, yeah, you go down to Lowland and yeah, it's not bad. You know, like it's it's a good wee league. But I mean, I I do I do worry for any teams in the Lowland league at the moment, like uh, like teams like East Kilbride and stuff for like that where. When that when that West of Scotland League fires up the engines and starts pumping yeah. in your Talbots and your Pollocks, that's going that's going to be very very tough for any sort of team who are already there to get a foothold, um, and a yeah, team that get relegated as well is going to be really tough. I know we're kind of going off topic a bit, but I think you're absolutely right in what you're saying about the Lowland League. I think there'll come a point, and it'll take maybe a decade, maybe a bit longer. But once the the sort of the the, the dud teams that, that don't really offer much, don't really have much of a fan base, talking like Broomhill, uh, Edu Sport Academy, Vale Leven, the university teams, when they drop out and they are replaced by again heavyweights in terms of like non-league football, like you say, Auchin, like Talbot, Pollock, Linlithgow Rose. When those teams go in, then you could have a really, really good league um, in the Lowland League. It's just that we need to kind of go, in fact, actually joins on to the point I'm making. You, there needs to be a mechanism in place that, that smooths the transition between moving the, through the league. So if you do get relegated into the Lowland League or the Highland League, it isn't as arduous and it isn't as difficult to come back up the way. You know, like, like the, whereas if you get relegated from like the Championship into League One, that can be traumatic, but at least you know that the, the, the stuff is in place to get you back up, you know, through the playoffs and, and so on. It's just it's a lot more difficult um, with uh, the, the, the SPFL and non-league. But to, to go and answer the question uh, to begin with, I, 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 I was anxious because I thought that you, it's good. Stephen Swift's an exciting manager um, and it could be that, you know, it's, it's probably better getting him than trying to think like a, a guy like, Brian Reed, for, you know, just someone yeah. who's like around, been around the the the, the houses, um, like a carousel manager, I call them, because you just go round and oh, round. Sorry. A carousel manager, because you just go carousel round and round. Yeah. Some of the names that the club interviewed alongside Stephen Swift were all, were all quite intriguing names, but Swift was was, was without a doubt the the, the standout uh, candidate. Despite my misgivings at, at the time of all the names, he he would have been the the standout candidate. But it's it's that idea that. You kind of want a sure thing, and that's quite difficult for for uh, with the budget that that we've got. You can't. We've signed a couple of players who we know what we're going to get from, but it's it's a case you don't have the money to go and sign established like League One players mm. to drop down and play for you. You know, you're you're going to have to take risks, and I suppose you've got to trust the manager in that. So there is a degree of excitement as to what we can what we can expect, and it's excitement, it's nerves. There's a bit of dread there, but believe me, when the, the first game of the season, the, sorry, when the first preseason friendly started against Syngenta, I could not wait to see it. Could not wait to see it, just to get a glimpse of these players and, and to see what they're like and to see what they're all about and use that game to, to shape your perceptions about what you're expecting for the season ahead. So yeah, it was that was it. Just like looking forward to seeing these guys that you've never seen. You, they could walk past in the street and you don't recognise them and just 
see what they're like, and you go, ah, yes, Ross Lyon, I can tell you what he's like as a player now, and use that. You know, when you're thinking of the games that, that are coming ahead against against other teams, and you know, he's a really fast winger, so, but we know Ross Lyon's really fast, so he can combat that. Mm. And, and you know that way when you're sort of uh, you're playing football manager inside your head. It's useful for that. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm very, very excited. Very, very excited. Good stuff. One key signing that uh, is obviously very pertinent for Fistle fans is the loan signing of James Lyon. Yeah, um, wow. What, what, what are your thoughts on James Lyon so far? The, I've, I've only seen James Lyon once, uh, and that was against Dumbarton on Tuesday night. But I'm basing the evidence of that game. I am, one, surprised Thistle loaned them out in the first place. And two, surprised they loaned him out to a team in League Two, if I'm being honest with you. What I've seen from James Lyon, it was only that one game. I missed the game. We played against Spartans, I think it was. And I missed that because I actually had uh, COVID-19 and I was having to self-isolate at the time. So I couldn't make it along to uh, Ainsley Park to see it. But he got a really good write-up in, in that game. But against Dumbarton, he, he was excellent. Man of the match performance from him. And our midfield, we've got Nat Wedderburn, who you might be familiar with, and Ross Forbes, who you definitely be familiar mm-hmm. with. And, and, and those two players, they've got their qualities, but they're not very mobile. You know, you're not going to ask Ross Forbes to do like 60-yard runs <laughs> to, to cover someone. You know, it just, it's just not in, his, uh, not in his DNA, not in his thought process to, <laughs> to do that. But with, with James Lyon, James Lyon is going to bring... I'm not just saying legs because that gives them a complete disservice. You can get like there's a thousand guys who you can just who will just run run fast. But what I've noticed from him, he's very very good at carrying the ball forward, very very like like deceptively fast, mm-hmm. like good at dropping the shoulder, taking people out of the game. His range of passing looks quite good. He looks like he's trying to play killer balls through. Saw that on on Tuesday night. The number of times tried to find Tamor or, or and Robert Thompson, and, and a lot of the time, particularly in the second half, we had Dumbarton in the back foot, and he capped his performance with a, a goal, a, a fantastic goal. I'm sure you've seen yeah. it, but he picked up the ball 25 yards on the sort of left hand side, opened up his body, and just curled it. And it was like some watching Thierry Henry, one of those classic goals that he'd score for Arsenal, coming in the left hand side on his right foot. And I think that we're all really, really excited uh, as to what he can do. It's hard to believe he's only 17, but I think from what I've seen from him so far, he reminds me a bit, my, my mate put this in Pine and Bovril, and I actually really agree with it. He reminds me of Harry Payton, a, a guy we had on loan from Hart and Midlothian in 2017. And Harry Payton's one of the best midfielders I've seen at the club. Just He, he played football like he was wearing ice skates, the way he would just like, just glide, slalom past people, and I can see it's only only really seeing the ones, but based on that performance, I can see shades of Harry Payton in there, and I think that he's going to be a really, really important player for us. And subsequently, I think he'll be a very important player for Partick Thistle, which is which is great for both of us. Well, yeah, definitely. Like I, I, I would echo the sentiment that I, I was quite surprised at the owner because Ian McCall is very, very high on him. He has sees high hopes from. And we we have about four or five players that are in a sort of that 16, 17 year old bracket mm-hmm. that are all coming through and all look really, really good, like Billy Owens and even like Gospel Trolley and stuff like that. But James Lyon is the one where Ian McCullough singled them out. I mean, when you're getting like 16 year old players who are being singled out and told yeah. you can make 100 appearances for the club, um, that sort of level where you're like, you could see a lot in them. And um, I was very surprised that he got loaned out, but I'm I'm glad that he's do you know he's kicked off very well because the yeah, the goal was incredible and I'd love yeah. to see him just have a great season sort of in the same way that um, Moniang and uh, 
uh, Blair Lions did for Montrose. I know Blair yes. Lions didn't really do much for us after that, but it was a sensible signing, a sensible Very signing much. for Thistle. Yeah, yeah. Getting a guy, a young guy in the cheap who's probably had never contemplated playing full time football, and it was a punt worth taking. With uh, with blue lines didn't necessarily work out, but a punt worth taking. But if the same thing, I, I'm I, I'm not I need to check, but I, I'm probably right in saying that Lyon won't be available to play tomorrow because he, he's playing against his parent club, which is a real shame. But I've no doubt he'll be a really important player for Sensmuir. Uh, just the way that Stephen Swift wants his team to function, the constituent parts around him, his skill set, everything will fit in well with each other. And yeah, I, th- I think he he will. But when you get him back in June next year, I think you'll. You, I'm hoping you'll have a battle-hardened, better player that that uh, that that left. And that's of course that's that's what all loans should be. Yeah, definitely. Now, obviously, uh, we don't want to just get you on and talk about Stennis Muir. So, um, I, obviously, you know the host of a view from the terrace. Um, I really enjoyed the view from Muros ones. Obviously, not the one with you on. Um, but I <laughs> uh, really enjoyed the view from the, the, the Euros and you know obviously the terrace stuff from last season um, oh, I, I did enjoy the, the my favourite one was in the, the first episode of the Euros ones where you got Joel Sked to try lots of things um, oh, I, I, as a man with a very skeddish palate um, it, it gave me the fear, but I, I, I didn't turn away at any point. It was it was absolutely fantastic. Um, you just want to talk about the, the you know your plans for the terrace going ahead into the new season and for the podcast yeah. and TV and that um, how it's going. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the kind words. That's that's really nice. I'm glad you're you're enjoying watching the show. Yeah, and the, the view for the Euros was a, was a great opportunity for, for for all of us to take part in. Uh, it's it's just doing the stuff with the, the the terrace has been amazing fun. It's probably the, the the thing of all the things I've ever been involved in. That's the thing I'm most proud of. You're getting to hang out with your mates every week. You're getting to talk about football. You're you're getting to 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 do it on the TV, and it's just it's just so much fun. And and, and it's great that we've we've got a, an audience who who really seem really receptive to the stuff we're doing. So I think that. We're still not hundred percent sure if we're coming back for a, a fourth series. Touch wood, though. That's that's the case. I think it's just still a lot of uh, T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted. Uh, but I, I, I certainly hope that's the case um, because it's, it's great fun. And, and I think this season coming up, there already there are so many emerging storylines. I'm just looking at the Premiership. Like nobody really, nobody knows a fuck about Rangers and Celtic. But you've got Celtic. You've got this this new exotic manager from Australia. You know, Rangers, can they, they, they build on their success of last season? Uh, Hearts are back up. They've got the Darius Hibernian. Dundee are back up. And then you, you, you drop down a bit further. You've got Kilmarnock. The, 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 the championship on paper doesn't look fantastic. Um, League One. League One looks great. There are a whole number of teams that can win that. And, of course, you've got a, a brand new team in the SPFL and Kelty Hearts. So there's, there's loads for, for us to talk about. And, and I, I really uh, hope we get the chance um, to, to, to do so. But, yeah, it's it's just great fun. And the podcast itself, of course, the, the Terrace podcast, which was... Uh, which uh, was the the spin out the television show was uh, spun off from. Um, we would have had loads of more uh, content going up over the last few weeks, but Fowler, uh, who of course is the the head of the the terrace, he spilled salsa on his laptop, and uh, it's in for repair. It's been in for repair for the last fortnight. So there's he's he is sitting on an ocean of content. There's apparently about like twenty odd podcasts that are all waiting to go out. So he gets his laptop back. 
So that's today or tomorrow. So stuff should start going up uh, from then. And then we're just putting plans in place for the new season. It's just, it feels like, a, a, like to use a borrow a term that you used earlier, David, it feels like a bit like a carousel. You know, you kind of take a wee break for the, the season and then you just back on it. And it just never stops with podcasting, your full-time job, and then doing stuff for a view for the terrace. So, aye, brilliant fun, brilliant fun. Very lucky, very pl- privileged to be a part of it all. Definitely. And I think that, like, I, I mean, certainly I was saying, this is just me blowing smoke up the arse now, and I do apologise. But, um, like, I definitely, like, like looking at the view from the terrace and the, 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 the podcast as well, to be fair. I mean, like, obviously, I was doing this over the last year. I'm not going to lie, we've nicked various things off of you and I hope that's fine like, um, honestly don't worry Fowler's nicked all his ideas off uh, of someone well, else it. anyway that, that's it that's, uh, that's the secret of podcasting everyone has done the segment before you just need to find it and nick it that's yes. the idea but no like, definitely like, a lot of sort of stuff like the, the, the short films and stuff like that that you do um, during the terrace they are fantastic and they, they, they are very inspired by that sort of thing and uh, in they, terms of doing think, stuff for ourselves, that, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're amazing. It's like you, I think for I've used this expression before, but I think like myself, Fowler, Joel, Robert, and Sean. If you imagine like a a, a watch, we're like the hands on the, on the watch, so we're the most visible part. But there's when you you go away from, under the face and look at all the moving cogs, there are so many important. But that's something I've learned from 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 doing this that like a TV show, like like every constituent part has to work. To make it from the from the presenters to the the sound engineer to the camera guys to the way it's edited to the direction, so we we've got a fantastic team behind us. And the Jordan Laird and Andy Mass, the the director and the producer respectively, are, are incredibly talented, and like incredibly talented. Some of the stuff they do, you're just like, how on earth did, did have you have you done that? Like some of the in the VTs that they filmed. Like, like there's, there's, there's the, the one film ones like, are my are my favourite. Where like sitting our broth game for the lens of Quentin Tarantino and stuff like that. It's absolutely fantastic. The idea, the idea for that they were like, what if Wes Anderson was to go and film uh, match highlights in Scotland? And so they filmed them in this really uh, distinctive, very unique style. There was one, one of the, my, my favourite ones from last year. The, the, I'll give you two if, if I may yeah. I'll give you two there was one they did a profile of the, the groundsman at Montrose Ron Marquis mm-hmm. and they followed him around for the day talking about the various roles that he does at the ground and you see something like that there'll be like Ron Marquis came across like an absolute giant in that he came across so well but there'll be hundreds of guys maybe thousands of guys like Ron Marquis around the country who put in so much time for their football team, don't get much in return from it, but they're so proud of their club and they want to make it as best as they possibly can. And there was something really touching about that. And there was another one, they filmed it, it was a, a match, I can't remember, it was Dundee, it was at Dense Park. I'm not sure they were playing, but it was like a, an, a, an evening game. And it was it was called Empty. And it was basically just this sort of like very um, Mogwai-esque piano music, quite summer piano music with all these shots outside the ground and the floodlights, and it was very eerie and very atmospheric, and it really summed up what pandemic football was like. It was a bit of a cliche expression, but like football without fans, what, I mean, if, if, if a game is played at Dens Park and there's no one there to see it, does it actually make a sound? So th- those are the stuff. I think that's something that the VTs have done really well in terms of capturing Scottish football culture, you know, it is very distinct. It is, you know, it's different to like. I know we shouldn't view everything through a prism of like English Premier League, but that's I think that's that's a, a competition that we compare ourselves to a lot, yeah. rightly or wrongly, and we shouldn't do that. You know, Scottish football is 
there's not as much money there, so there's 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 a more uh, it's more authentic. I I, I think there's, there's there's it's just it's just different, and that's something that a view for the terrace does is celebrate that that difference and that that uniqueness, and and that it really is ours, and it, it can't be replicated anywhere else. Definitely, no, absolutely. And one question I wanted to ask Chris is obviously over the last say three four years we've seen the rise of things like the terrace and old fun facts. Uh, soccer FM, you know, it's, it, stuff like that, whereby it, it's fans who are making media, and uh, the, the the discourse in Scottish football has changed from Hugh Keevans and the 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 you know the duddery old print journalists um, at the records and Jim Trainer and all that, and that's moved to people like yourself and you know Joe Sked and um and you know things all from facts and stuff like that whereby mm. that sort of thing is by far the more relevant discourse now and like fan media has really taken off I mean you look at again we know we love to mention Celtic but you mean you look at stuff like the Cynic and the Celtic mm-hmm. State of Mind and stuff like that but the way that those sort of things have t- uh, taken off and that clubs are engaging with them I mean I know like there's no secret that we engage you know, with the club and we, we know people there and they help us out with stuff and they're just yeah. the absolute you know, best in terms of anything that we need, they're happy for us to use it and stuff yeah. like that. And um how do you feel like, would would you say that is accurate that like you know that there's a new trend of, you know, the people that are coming in are completely different figures from what it was before in terms of who who people go to for their football um opinions well, now? Well, I suppose that there's the thing, David. If I if I say say for instance, we say for instance, if we you and I weren't doing this podcast, and I wanted to find out more about Partick Thistle, the team we're playing tomorrow, like who am I going to go to? Am I going to come to you as a supporter, or go to a journalist who watches them like every second week? You, you go to yourself, of of course, because you you'll know the team better. You're you're more uh, tuned in to, to to what they're doing, and I think that you're seeing that that the rise of um, like like fan media, I think it's it's just it's an inevitable spin off from from social media that that and the cost of technology coming down, the fact that you can produce your own content and and if you if you're able to do that and you are able to build an audience that that, that then brilliant. I, I do still think there is a place for like old school like like journalism in terms of telling news stories, t- uh, breaking transfers, like match reports. I do think they're important. And I, I, I'm, I'm loath to, to, to be like critical of journalists. Cause I know it's a, a, it's a difficult job, mm. um, and like the, the, the challenges that the, the landscape is still changing. I mean, it's just been changing for the last decade, and I think that, that there is still that bit of a struggle to kind of catch up with it and, and try and make sense from it and try to put in a model that, that is like, like both high quality and, and, and is done quickly and you can make money from. So there's a whole load of load of stuff in there, but. I, I I do think that that, that this this is all fan media is just a, a, a knock on from from social media and that's that's it man if you if you want to get together with your mates talk about your football team record it and stick it out then that's that's great and I think a lot of the time particularly the the, the lower down the food chain you go as as clubs are, are certainly a lot more willing to to, to work alongside you to, to 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 help you produce the content I know. Again, that's that's changing. I'm looking at Rangers and Celtic with um, like heart and hand. I know they've got um, uh, connections at Ibrox, and they're doing like like press conference stuff in like ninety minutes, cynic twenty minute terms. I, I can always there's too many minutes there uh, in yeah. that, so I kind of get confused between the between the two. But I know they're working with them. It's just that 
it's I think it's quite a, a difficult thing as a as a because when you become you become you can start off as being independent and you're like independent, unbiased mm. voice. But when you get closer, if you if you start to get a profile and you start working with people, you realise that how these relationships change. Mm. You know, you like you're not going to be massively critical of, of people that you begin to know personally, and that's just that's just a, a, a difficult thing, and that's something that that you you kind of need to to watch out for. So I think in some way that that like everyone might get compromised at, at some point. I, I and I see that the the stuff on social media where, where people are like like somebody writes a like a, a mile even the, the most remotely negative article about like Celtic or Rangers and the fans like biased, no reading this anymore, going to get my news from and it's the, the fan media instead. It's like, well, we'll crack on then. But there'll always still be a place for traditional journalism. I think it just needs to figure out uh, how to how to be the best version of itself. Definitely. And I would say like in all fairness, I obviously I don't want uh, James Kearney um frothing into his conflicts this morning and only he's good the stuff I've read from him. He wrote a piece a couple of months, was it last year? It would have been the, was it the anniversary? Or was it, I think it was the, it was an anniversary of the match between Thistle and Morton at Firhill yeah. where James Colgan scored, the game that effectively won the, the First Division title. And it's like, that was a real good piece. I was at that game. And I think in terms of the colour, like really summed it up, what it was like. I remember that the game was delayed by 15 minutes, wasn't yeah, it? Was, it was, yeah. And I mean, in terms of an atmosphere, that's one of the best atmospheres I've ever been to. Like, I know the game itself was shit, and the atmosphere, everyone just got fucking bored after about 15 minutes, but the, the build-up to it was just incredible. Yeah. Oh, that was great. That was great. It was a, sorry, that was a really good piece by James Kearney. So that's that's what I'd say. Very good piece by James Kearney. Very good. Match. And I think you're seeing as well, like, I mean, James Kearney's you know, been on this pod multiple times. We know him personally. You know, he, he's a good pal. We chat to him all the time and stuff like that uh, without, you know, uh, betraying our journal sources here. But, like, um, we, but he, he is, like, a, a fiscal fan through and through who came in became a journalist and you've seen a lot of that where a lot of smaller yeah. smaller team uh, fans are becoming journalists but I mean you look at something like um, the Courier and the Press and Journal and stuff like that whereby the Courier's quarter, the Courier stuff Courier sports stuff is is fantastic and they, they, they've cracked the code where they're like well if we just put out Dundee United content Dundee United fans will subscribe because they want to hear Dundee United content and they want it from a place that will give them it on the regular and Give them it well informed, and the guys that are working, I think it's Ewan Smith and Alan Temple are, are the guys that are working there, and it's, you're you're getting really good stuff about all the teams. You're getting, I think, that area is very very well served by its sports journalists. I think the the content they're doing. I mean, there was a video that uh, went out that Ewan Smith it was a, a advertising board falling in Dick Campbell. I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, I. But it's just it's consistently it's consistently good stuff, and it's it'll get better. I know they they haven't that team hasn't been put together for very long, but that'll get better uh, going forward. And I suppose that that's that's the sort of sports journalism that 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 you would want uh, from your from from your local paper. But I, you're right. It's it's all it's all very difficult. Uh, like particularly, in, I mean, I'm sure James has told you enough times about the pressures that he's under. In terms of trying to pull like the the, the Glasgow Evening Times and the Herald and stuff together, what that's like? Um, no, definitely. Well, one question, one thing I wanted to thank you for actually, just because it was fantastic, is you mentioned obviously about uh, the Falkirk game at the end of last season, and oh yeah, we are we are doing a full. 
Oh, just four again. Can you remind me? Oh, I'll need to rattle around my brain and think. I think it was five, a whole five, five, wow. five wow. goals. Imagine conceding five goals and not just conceding five goals, but to Partick Thistle. Jeez, oh, what, what I know, what a diddy team. Um, but we are doing a full episode on uh, the the last the game, uh, so it's a thing where we've got we've got people to record voice notes before and after the game. Me and Matt, who we did the podcast with, recorded ourselves mm-hmm. on Skype watching the game. Uh, people from the canal being interviewed and stuff, all loads of stuff, right? The reason I bring this up is that obviously a fantastic day if you're a Fissel fan. I can imagine if you're a Steny fan, winning the league by winning five 0 um, after against a team who completely blew it, and we must stress that they completely blew it. Yeah. They did. Um, it was fantastic, and obviously I've been reading Pie and Bovril all week in the lead up to it. You know, fantastic. But the icing in the cake was when one at Craig G Telfer posted after going, <laughs> "How embarrassing about fucker oh, it was." Uh, I, I got I got a, a big chuckle. It was so perfectly timed, and I want to thank you for the cherry and <laughs> the cake of that day. Oh, it's just it's, it's the, the local say You know, I, the, the funny thing is, it's just like I've got friends. I just got it sounds like some of my. I'm going to start like some of my best friends are black. That's <laughs> no, like, I've got I've got mate, good mates that are Falkirk fans, and when we see each other, we talk about Falkirk a lot. And I think it's just. You know, they're, 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 they're a funny wee club. I like, I've been to Falkirk and watched them. It's just, I just can't take to them. That's that is simple as, as that. I just, I just can't take to them. And it just, it's easy, particularly after that season that they that they had there, very uh, easy to, but just generally the last few years, in fact, for Falkirk have been very easy to, to, to poke fun of and, and long may it continue. However, I do want to say our CEO, Jamie Swinney, has, uh, has, has taken up a job in Falkirk and will, will join the club in, I think, about three weeks uh, when he starts. And that was a massive loss for Steny because he's a, a really, really good guy. Really, really good guy and has been very helpful with me working for, for the club. And I wish him all the best in that. Like, I, I do uh, I do hope that, that he brings... Certainly, I don't know what he can do about the stuff going on the park, but off the park, I think Falkirk's esteem will, will, will certainly... Go up with him at the helm. Great guy, really, really good guy. Um, couple, a couple more questions, and I swear I'll let you go because we've gone for forty five minutes. today, man. Let us say I'm going to buy a bed later on, so this is just, uh, aye, this is this is fine, man. Whatever you want to talk about. Uh, so, well, well, first of all, question: What type of bed are you going for? Do you know what you're going for, or are you are you just winging it? Are you going no, jazz no, 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 I think I, I want I, the match is the most important thing, of course, because you I mean let's be honest, you're going to spend about a third. If you get a good match, you you spend a third of your life sleeping, so you've got to make sure that's a good match. It's a nice firm match, quite fancy one with memory foam, and I'm prepared to spend uh, a, a good bit of money on it. The frame uh, that you can frame doesn't really matter, but it's all about the, the quality of the matches. That is. That's the most important thing here. Obviously, from being involved doing the terrace podcast and stuff like that, and being involved online and stuff like that, what is your perception of Thistle as a Steny, like as a Steny fan, as a as a lower league fan? Do you like what? What is your perception of Thistle and Thistle fandom? Do you see much Thistle fandom? Like what? 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 What's your take on it? You can call us assholes if we are assholes. This is. <laughs> When I first started uh, doing football writing, I ran a website called Tell Me's Pelly, and we started in 2012, 2013. So my that's when I really started paying attention to all the leagues, and and so the, of course that season was the year that 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 Jackie McNamara and subsequent Alan Archibald uh, the, the, took the team into the the SPL, and that was an amazing team. 
that was an amazing team. I mean, there's like Stephen O'Donnell, for instance, gone on to to represent Scotland, and, and just right throughout that team, God, I can even probably still tell you what the team team was like. Scott Fox, uh, Muirhead, and Balatoni at centre back. You had Taylor Sinclair and O'Donnell at uh, uh, back. Um, guys like Chris Erskine, Chris Doolin up front, Stephen Wallace was part of the team, Paul Payton in the middle. So guys like that, see, he's not even a team I support, but because I, I, I really enjoyed watching them, I could, I could pretty much name that as starting 11. The impression that I get from Thistle fans, I think you've got to have a good sense of humour to be a Thistle fan, of mm-hmm. course. You know, I think coming from a, a big city like Glasgow, that, that, is, that is fair to say dominated by two sides, to, to, to stick your head to, to support a team like Thistle who, who aren't as successful you, you do need a bit of a sense of humour uh, in, in, in that regard um, and although the, the, the clawing that the hand wringing that took place uh, particularly over uh, after the relegation back into the championship Gary Caldwell's appointment as manager the time he kidnapped his players in a team building exercise or getting Ian McCall and that not working I did find that quite funny if I can be honest yeah. um, I suppose that any team that goes through like back to back or nearly back to back relegations that is that is quite quite funny in itself but I, I have I have no truck with uh, with Thistle supporters. You seem like a nice guy, David. So yeah, I'm I'm putting that on my gravestone. You seem like a nice guy, <laughs> Craig G. Telfer. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but no, it's um, fantastic there. And now I got a couple of quick fire questions. Um, okay. And these aren't Thistle related. Your favourite Simpsons episode? Oh, Homer at the Bat. Yes. With the softball team, it's got. It's got so many good moments. I think one of my all-time favourite Simpsons moments is Don Mattingly's sideburns. <laughs> I was watching, I was watching something yesterday. It was something, and he just he goes, "I want you to trim those sideburns, um, happy." And I was like, "Wait, a minute, hold on, what? Simpsons reference?" Aye, love I, I have a, I have a theory. All the best Simpsons episodes are sports themed. If you look at it, Homer at the Bat, you've got the boxing one. Uh, my favourite Saturdays of Thunder, uh, the boxcar racing one. They just done sports pastiche. is so so good. And See, that's the bit where where Homer phones the the the, the centre for for like for something that's cats in the cradles yes. playing as a whole music, yeah. and he starts crying. Oh man, must seen that episode in oh, years. Oh, it's great. It's, it's also the one with, uh, with with Martin and the the honour roller going down, and he pushes the parachute. Deploy, damn you, deploy! And he just bursts into flames, and then the parachute flies. It's, oh, it's fantastic! I absolutely love it. Um, does Stenhouse Mill use picks a lot? Oh yes, you can look forward to that on uh, Saturday. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, it's the old gal with Mister. Um, if you had to choose any TV show to be filmed by Pixelot, which one would you choose? Oh, that's a good question. We had uh, the game against Dumbarton on Tuesday night that for the first 24 minutes, no exaggeration, the first 24 minutes the camera did not move from the halfway line. <laughs> so you had any time, so, so kick-off looked amazing, but then as soon as the ball was punted down the park, you know, you'd expect the camera to start moving, it just didn't. <laughs> So you had no concept of what was happening any time the ball went either side of the halfway line. And at that point, I was actually composing an email to Dumbarton saying, I want a refund for this because I've, I've not been able to enjoy the game. And then it started working just as about to to, to, to hit that. Um, so I still still a lot of work to be done in Pixel, but what was a TV show that I wanted to see filmed in Pixel? You know, I, I can imagine, like, my favourite TV show is EastEnders, and I can imagine uh, a, a, an episode of EastEnders where... 
everything would have to happen in the square or the vicar in one place, and the camera just moves in on various different storylines. And I think that's that's quite an interesting idea um, in, in itself. We might have done episodes like that in the in the past, but no, that's what, what I think picks a lot. As long though you you mentioned Ross Kemp, as long as it stays away from from Phil Mitchell's bald head, like that poor Inverness Cali Thistle linesman. Uh, when the thing just zoomed right in and oh, has big chrome boom. I know, it's terrible. Um, just because you mentioned you are um, a big EastEnders fan, um, was Phil Mitchell getting drunk and taking the uh, taking hostage of the bulldozer the greatest moment in EastEnders history? Uh, it certainly was. It was uh, Steve McFadden gave a, a rip-roaring performance, uh, Phil Mitchell on, on crack cocaine. Uh, what, what, how did it start? Yes, he, he lost custody of, of Ben, I think, and his partner, uh, who, who was it? Uh, he got in tow with Rainey, who's now sorted herself out. Now she's uh, looking for a, a surrogate for her bairn. He got involved with her and they started tooting crack and there was an episode where they basically turned her house into a crack den and it was just incredible. Uh, like He's listening to The Who and he's like shadow boxing and stuff like that. <laughs> just remarkable television. Uh, yeah, of course, the bit where he's... Where, I think, did he get a liver transplant? I need a liver transplant. I think he got jaundice and his face was yes. all like... like like yellow, and he had these really, really pink rings around his eyes, and then he commandeered that um, that bulldozer. I can still remember it vividly. Just that is a, a tour de force performance from from Mitchell, and uh, I, he's never been. He's still entirely watchable, but never really been quite as good as that. That that was his twenty twelve thirteen season, and uh, to take it back to Thistle, that was that was his championship winning season. You know where all the all the cogs are working at the same time. Uh, you know, Doolan and Erskine up front, Phil Mitchell in a bulldozer, incredible times. Uh, a couple of Patrick Fissel questions and then I'll let you go. Um, what is your order from Greg's? Uh, 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 six pack of rolls, four sausage rolls to, to cut in half and then put inside the rolls, a steak bake, a pizza slice, a diet cola and... Oh, an Empire Biscuit if they've got it. Out of Diet Cola, obviously, because you need to you know, maintain your figure and watch what you're, you're oh, taking okay. in. Um, in. Interesting that you mentioned uh, the, Gre- the Greg's Rolls. A, a very a very divisive topic, purely because you know, there, there's Morton's um, that you know, people would usually go for. Um, if you could bring anything onto the Greg's menu, what would you bring on? Just what you said, McGee's Crispy Rolls. I would, I would, if I was, if I was in charge of Greg's, I would outsource your your rolls to McGee's. Particularly those, uh, those crispy rolls, they are uh, just to die for. No, um, I, I, I can, I can get behind that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, McGee's rolls and Tonic's bread. Nobody's ever had Tonic's bread. They only sell it because I, I live next to the the factory, but they sell it at the factory, and it's by right. by a, cons- a considerable distance the best bread. So they should be outsourcing that. Speaking of tonics, um, if you eat a tonics tea cake and you have the wrapper at the end, do you scrunch it up into a wee ball or do you fold it out into a big sheet? No, I get scrunched up into a little ball as possible and then put into a bottle or a can that I would have uh, next to me. And interesting, you're not one of these people that like pr- uh, tries and practices your Roberto Carlos free kicks or something or anything. No, yeah, it's crunching a wee bottle and just popped in, and that satisfying bit when it hits the bottom of the the can, <laughs> lovely sound. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going off piste on this one, uh, just purely because it's a question that I've always loved. Um, I don't know if you've ever listened to the Richard Herring Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Um, I have not. Had, no, well, um, there was a question that they used to routinely ask everyone. I know Matt is a fan, so he'll know this one. If you had to choose between a hand made of ham. Or an armpit that dispenses sun cream, which would you choose? Now the hand of ham will grow back, so you can eat it, 
and it will grow back. And it's just a hand that works, so it's a perfectly fine hand. It's just made of ham. But so you can eat it all you like, and it will grow back, and you can still use your hand and stuff like that. Or an armpit that dispenses a moderate amount of sun cream. So more than you, you will ever need in your life, but not not something that you can turn into capital. Well, do you know how uh, expensive it is to buy sun cream? Um, I would I would go for, for the sun cream. You're only going to need it a couple of times a year, but it'll save you, what, about 50, 60 quid? For a week to um, a week to a nice place, aye, you always go for that, um, and then you can aye the, the hand ham because you might get a uh, birds. I've got a like my, my dad's dog who's who's quite a, a he's he's still he's he's only about a year and a bit old, so he's still in that sort of like bitey chewy phase. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to take your your hand to be uh, bitten off by a you know, curious dog or or fall around by birds. So no no the, the, the armpit was sun cream. No, I, I would agree with I'm not I'm not a big ham fan myself as it is anyway, but um I didn't really think of that one. It's like I told you straight off the bat, yeah, we'll go for the go for the the, the sun cream. See the, there's always the temptation of always having an infinite like sort of a source of food there for you, whereby like you can always just pick at it. But I think that would be the issue for me where if I was you know, if I was a ham fan and I had this hand, you just pick at it and you'd be like, That's fine. You can maybe pick off a wee bit of the the wrist or something like that, or you know the back, the palm or whatever, and get away with it. You know, no, watching someone bite their nails is horrible, man. No one needs to. It's, it's horrible. It's you and see somebody like in a train or something just picking away at their fingers. Horrible. No, absolutely. And that would be the, that would be the issue for me is that you would be very tempted of going. I've got a fucking hand of ham. I might just eat this. Like if you were steaming in the train coming back from the town or something like that, you just absolutely gnaw half your hand off like a mad fox. I think that would be the issue. And then, of course, what happened is that you would do it, and you would do it before something really important that you needed two hands for um, at some point. And then, you know, you, you know you've you got a deadline to make it work, and you've just realised you've eat, eaten half your hand because uh, it was made of ham and you were steaming yesterday. So, no, I, I would agree. As a pale, as a pale ginger man, um, I I would probably have to agree with the, the sun cream. Um, that would probably be what I would go for with that. I mean, yeah, he asked this question for a good solid 80 episodes, so we have lots of thinking time. One thing before we go, just before, yes. uh, can I get a prediction for a score tomorrow? Uh, I'm going to go for 3-1 Thistle. <laughs> Is there anything you want to plug um, before before we go? Anything else you want to mention? The only thing I would really say for Thistle fans, it's a, a real shame that we can't have supporters in the ground tomorrow uh, because of social distancing measures, of course. I think there'll be a small throng of Warriors fans there. But the, the stream's available. I, I, I provide the, the colour commentary for Warriors TV. So if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear more, please uh, please buy a stream for it because I'm sure it'll be a good game of football, a game of football that Thistle will probably win in. So, yeah, I'm, I've got high hopes for it tomorrow. So please buy a stream and we'll see you there. Yes, fantastic. Thank you very much. And, yep, and look forward to listening to you in the stream tomorrow. Excellent. If you haven't had if this, uh, we've been talking for almost an hour. If that hasn't whetted your appetite, then God knows nothing will.
David, that was an, a very enjoyable chat with your, your TV friend there. Please remember us when you're famous. Um, what do you want to see from Saturday's game at Stenhouse Muir? I'm looking a bit further ahead uh, the following Tuesday night against Dumbarton. What are you looking for in those games? I want to see more of the, the confident attacking that we played against in Fairmont. I think you have to be wary about Stenhouse Muir. I think just by the sort of the, the forward motion that they're making at the moment. It's that could be a tough game. I think that's probably going to be tougher than the Dumbarton game, strangely enough. I, I'd like to see us have a confident two victories. Uh, of course, I would like, but you know what I mean? Like, we should be winning these quite comfortably. But yeah, I would like to see us, if we play the attack and play that we played on Saturday, I, I think we will win comfortably and you just want to see more of that forward momentum. Again, it's all about, you know, as we said before, it's all about confidence. And if you, if you put this team Com- uh, with confidence up against us, Dennis Muir and Martin, we should get a result and it, it, will, it will only boon them. Yeah, absolutely. I know you said earlier um, in the recording that you'd like to see, we'd all like to see us get nine points from the remaining games. I think I wouldn't be too upset if we treated the rest of this group like a sort of second pre-season and tried to blood some more of the youngsters like Billy Owens and Gospel Acholi. We've got a small squad at the moment and that's maybe partly down to the transfer market just being a bit slow at the moment because of the Euros. We saw that with Harry Stone coming in late because Craig Gordon was away on international duty. You don't know if that sort of trickles down from any loan easy in McCall's going after, but if we are going to have a small squad this season, we need these youngsters to be to be getting minutes and feeling part of the squad. So I, I'd quite like to see them get minutes. It's a good chance for them and I, I'd like to see an improvement in the defence, I think. I know I mentioned before your chat with Craig that it should be an easy fix to stop players running through and I would like to see evidence of that immediately, I think, just to put me and everyone else at ease. So a couple of sort of steady defensive performances with some some youngsters bloodied, I think, is what I'm looking for. I think McCall said that he was going to give them both two games each. So I, I'm guessing Stone will play against Denhouse Mayor Dumbarton and then Sten will come in for the Sidmining game because uh, McCall didn't mention that last week. So... And you'll probably see a bit of stone over the next week or so. And yeah, like I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. He's kind of been talked up quite a bit, and I think he, I think he could be really good for us. Excellent. No, I'm looking forward to it. Um, David, as we're low on attendees on the podcast this week and a bit of content, we've only had one League Cup game, and it wasn't one we wanted to dwell on for too long. I have come up with a game for you to play. Um, I've not. It's I didn't invent the game. It's basically play your cards right, but no cards it's players appearances and uh, as Bruce Forsyth is doing the tango in hell I'll be your host today so um, (laughs) the idea of the game is I'm going to name a player and you've got to tell me if he has a a higher amount or a lower amount of appearances than the previous player so I've got 10 players so I'm going to start with Tam Cherney he made 105 appearances for Partick Thistle and I should Mm -hmm. state state at the start of this game, that my source for this, all of this information, was transfer marked. And if you disagree with it, I apologise. But that is where I got the information on all of these players. Feel free to play along at home. Let us know how you get on. But I've got 10 for you, David. So Tam Cherney, 105. And I want to know Scott Patterson, Scott Shaggy Patterson, higher oh, or lower? Jesus Christ, man. Um... Cherney was three years. Or four. With us. I'm not he's here to go- give you that information. He's a he's a goalkeeper though. He plays it every game. 
Um, I'll s- get ten of these to get through. Come on. I, oh no, I'm, I, I know I'm going to be fucking terrible at this. I, I'll say higher. You're incorrect. The information I have, and I'm not saying this is the correct information, is Scott Patterson played six to eight times for Partick Thistle, which seemed low to me. But I think he only did have a, t- a guy who's a player a bit before my time. I think he did only have a two-year spell. So I always but, just associate him with Archie, and he knew Archie was here for like a decade. So I'm like, oh, well, Scott Patterson's basically joined at the Wimbledon. So yeah. <laughs> um, I, here we go. So six to eight is the number, David. Next up, Gary Harkins, higher or lower than six to eight? Oh God! Oh, right. Um. Very lower. I think you've been done here by the the double spell of Harkins. He had two spells, so it's ninety five appearances for Mister Gary Harkins. So that's thought, zero a two for you, David. So I mean, nine, I'm really keeping up my form <laughs> on these quizzes. Oh yeah, true form. Ninety five is the number. Paul Payton. Oh, for fuck's sake! Um, I said 95 for um, 95 is the number for Harkins yeah. Paul Payton, higher or lower? Uh, lower Incorrect, 180 appearances for Paul what? Payton <laughs> Jesus Christ We had him for years, we had him for years. I know but I, I think I've just tried to wipe it out of my memory Like, <laughs> Okay, 180 is the number No, sh- no No, because that would be what Five Premier League campaigns that he played every game. No, it's got to be lower. Final answer? Final answer. You're off the mark. That was 128 appearances for Abdul Osman. One Sweet. out of four. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Are you doing better than David Forrest at home? If so, let us know. <laughs> if 100- not, I'd be very worried. Aye, are your season ticket, if not. Uh, 128 is the number, David. James Penrice. Oh, right, 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 right. Hold, hold the bus here, right. So, see, I always sit here and think that he played loads in the last Premiership season and it turns out he played like three games and didn't actually play much. And then, but he was there like every week for three seasons. Like, I don't think he did get injured very often. But, I mean, on the pure mass, if it's 128 for Abdul Osman, if we are going by 36 games a season, 40 if we're counting the uh, the League Cup and the Cups and that, and he played like two games, even then that's like 122, so he's still not as high, so I'll say lower. You're on fire here, 114 for James Penrice. So two out, of your, two out of five at the halfway mark. You're, <laughs> you're on, you could get half marks and pass this exam, David, but I see. So 114 is the number. We're going for another left back who is incidentally a free agent just in case anyone is concerned about Kevin Holt, which would be a fair analysis after Saturday. Um, Aaron Taylor Sinclair. No. 114. Again, I just go by the 36 games in a season, 38 in the Premiership. He was a for the first season in the Premiership and the Championship season. He was on loan with us, but I don't think he played that much when he was on loan with us before. I'll say lower, but I, I might be wrong on that. David, you're correct again. It was a sneaky 1-1-3 oh, for Taylor Sinclair. Oh, yes! <laughs> Three out of six, you're on half marks. Can you keep it up? 
113 is the number. Liam Buchanan. Oh, fuck. Um, can't, I can't even remember um, how, how long Buchanan was with us for. Um, that makes him sound like he's died. That's that's not good. He still uh, plays. I know, he plays for Dumbarton, doesn't he? Or he played for Dumbarton last night. Uh, he's, he's at, I was Ross Forbes. He was at Alloa last season. I think he's at Cowden Beath now, Buchanan. I don't remember seeing Buchanan much when I started going in the Premiership. He probably started every game. He was not, <laughs> but, there, in the, he was not there when we were in the Premiership. Right. But as well as that, we had like 82 years in the wilderness where we just came sixth in the Championship. Uh, which it could be referred to as the Liam Buchanan years because it really feels he's really feels an archetypal player. If you told me any game between about 2006 and 2011, I'd probably go did Liam Buchanan play. Yep. F- for that, I'll say higher. Incorrect. Around uh, 100 for Liam Buchanan. So. I, I, don't, I don't think about Fistle players making a ton, right? I, I, I always say, oh man, you make 100 appearances, like that's that's insane. Like No one ever does it, tons of everybody does. You just get 100 appearances when you get in the door. 100 is the number. Conrad Balatoni is the eighth player. Can you make it four out of eight, higher or lower? Right, so Aaron Taylor Sinclair played 111. One one three for Taylor. One one three. I always I always associate Balotoni and Taylor Sinclair together. But at the end, Balotoni had kind of been shunted out when we got like Franz and Lindsay coming in and stuff like that. So he was fighting for position near the, in the last season. He he was never present the first the championship season and the first premiership season and then like, Lindsay and Franz came in and then he moved to Kelly. I remember really liking Balotoni, but this is when I was also uh, a bit naive. So. That <laughs> sounds terrible for Balotoni. He was great. But um, on the basis I didn't go to away games when Balotoni uh, moved, uh, moved to Kilmarnock, I will say, I'll say higher. That is a good call. You're back up at 50% mark. Yes, come on. 157 games for Conrad Balotoni. hell, man. Um, right. Is this like when Perry counts goals in the beach? <laughs> just like training sessions and stuff? Right. Two to go. Two to go. One more to get half marks. Two more to get, I would say, a respectable score of six. <laughs> so, so, 157 is the number. Johnny Tuffy. I've read oh. this number out in the podcast, David, and you must you have, have heard me say it because you've you edited have. the podcast. You have. And you know, he played for like four seasons. I don't think it would be a hundred, more than 157. Played in cups, played in cup replays. He did play in cups and cups replays. So if we're going for, say, 40 games this season times four, it's 160. So you, oh, fuck, you're right, right bang on that as well. But he's, he is a goalkeeper, and as we know from Thomas Cherney, you just play every week. Um. I'll go higher. Oh, I've, I've duped you in, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. I fucking knew it was lower. I knew it was lower. It is 100, 118 for Johnny Tuffy. So we finished. I was going to say 117 <laughs> then down to myself. We'll finish with another goalkeeper. So this is to get half marks. If you get the number of appearances correct as well, 
we will we'll not mind, we'll edit out that you've only got half marks and we'll just say, we'll re-record this and just say you got everyone bang on, right? Scott Fox, 118 is the number, Scott Fox is the player. Right, okay, so Hallowell came in after Tuffy, is that right? I'm not here to help you with this information. Hallowell came in after Tuffy and Hallowell was so shite that we got Fox. Tuffy was here like 2010, 2010-2011. So on the basis of that, so I'm on the basis that Tuffy was here till 2010-2011, we brought in Hallowell after Tuffy and Hallowell was quite shite, so shite that we went up and got Fox. But also we ended up buying Cherney in the second season. So that would say to me we had what? A season of before we won the championship season, we won the championship in the first Premiership season, and then he moved to County. So that's three seasons. I don't, I don't know how much this is going to help you, but I'm I'm not going to give you any details. But you have said some things that are wrong. Oh, okay, right. So that Brent Hallowell is actually in the 1971 League Cup final squad or whatever. Right. Um, what was the number for Tuffy? Tuffy's 118. Right, there was a whole season where Snedden didn't get a fucking sniff of a game. So, like, there he made at least a 40 appearances there. And he was the championship. I'll go higher. Before, uh, I'm going to also offer you this bit of help. Um, before we take that and lock that in as your final answer, the season you're referring to where Snedden didn't get a look in was the, the COVID season. Yeah, but we had, what, we had nine games left. I'll give you that. Okay, so you're, you're, we're locking in higher. Would you like to put a number to that? No. Um, right, so... This is fantastic audio if anyone's still listening. Nobody's listening. Um, it's a reading quite like everyone with Matt Fours on it. Um, do you know, didn't Paul Gallagher play something? Um, fuck, I, I, I need to trust my gut on this one. I'll say higher. And I'll say 131. You're correct that it was higher, but it was 182 appearances for Scott Fox and one microphone drop. <laughs> I was actually going to just as a joke say 180 is in a darts reference and realised I should have just went for it. Um, I, need, I need to hit and hope more, I think. Five out of ten. If you got more than five, let us know. Um, if you got 10 definitely let us know if you got 9 let us know we'd, we'd know like what. you to be a panelist <laughs> yeah teach let us know what one you got wrong yeah, David is infamous for his lack of thistle knowledge pre I was going to say pre 2013 but uh, you were struggling on your Scott Fox facts there we'll move on to our partridge thistle section David I believe you have a question for us this week hit us with it yes yeah, so to um, celebrate the return of everyone's best friend, Pixelot, for the Stenhouse Muir stream, who I believe is Pixelot. I asked the question, if you could change any TV show so that it was filmed by a Pixelot camera, which one would you choose? I've got three here. Um, so I've got a couple of different ones. But uh, yeah, if you had to choose a TV show to be filmed on a Pixelot camera, which one are you choosing? Right, when you first asked this question, my immediate thought was Doctor Who. Just because you would see so, like, you would see so much chaos going all, all around and because I like Doctor Who, but mainly just because you would see so much chaos. Now you've asked it a second time. 
there are more ideas going through my head. So you say your answers, and I'll see if I can think of anything funnier than Doctor Who. So you've got for Doctor Who. So my first one, if I've got I've got one that would be bad, one that would be good, and one that I think is a definite answer. So the bad one, I think, would be anything involving Ross Kemp. Uh, so Ross Kemp gone gangs, Ross Kemp on poverty in, in Iraq, because you'll remember the infamous game with the linesman who was bald, uh, where the ball, um, they didn't follow the ball, they just followed the linesman with his bald head. And I think that would be great if like Ross Kemp in Afghanistan uh, and they're like they're, this war-torn conflict and the camera's just stuck on his bald head as opposed to like any of the juicy war action that's going on around him. So I would probably go for Ross Kemp, any Ross Kemp documentary first of all. My my bad, my good one, inadvertently I think might be quite good, is that um, Pixelot loves birds, so it loves chasing birds. I was going to say a Frank Machiavelli retrospective, but no. Springwatch. I think it would be good because he just is attracted to wild animals just floating about. So I think that Springwatch should probably do quite well with a Pixelot camera. Um, you get some like sparrows or something like that that you wouldn't have noticed before Pixelot zoomed on them. Uh, but my my overriding um, selection for this has to be the king of combat sports that is Robot Wars, purely because <laughs> Sir Killalot would probably try and destroy it. And that's what we all want when that picks a lot of stream for someone to smash it the fuck up. David, I have thought of one uh, while you were rattling through them. I was inspired by your chat of, of baldiness and the sort of chaos that, that baldiness brings to Pixelot. So I'm going to go for Naked Attraction. I think that would be absolutely <laughs> wild on a, on a Pixelot camera. So Naked Attraction is my final answer. Do you know what 77,000 people watched that during the uh, England-Italy extra time and penalties on Sunday? I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> I know. Fair play. <laughs> you, well, it's, a, it's a line in the sand. You need to respect it. <laughs> I've been kind of um, internalising this myself and I wanted to know what, uh, what you thought about it. So, I, I, as you know, I'm, I'm a bit older than you. So, I, I seen France 90. I was there. Uh, not in France, obviously. I was like seven Right, but I, I remember how it felt. I was the most Scottish person alive in the day of the Brazil game. I had a CU Jimmy hat, a Scotland shirt, a flag, a tartan scarf, the lot. Just everything. There's a picture of me just looking like I'm off a fucking shortbread tin. Um, and the during the Brazil Scotland game, right? And I've I always said that the, the um, qualifying again is the Zion, and that France '98 was the best month of my life, and I loved it, and I just want to get close to that again, right? Or they just been that month of just having the best time or whatever. And, and I was always, if Scotland get there, it will be. And over the last couple of days, I've been like, did, like now that it's over, did it? Did it reach the heights of like France 98 or whatever? So for you, Matt, obviously, because you, you weren't, you don't remember France 98, was, it, was the Euros everything you expected with Scotland there? I think it was tricky because obviously COVID. Uh, you couldn't do what you'd normally do. You couldn't, well, you obviously could get a ticket, but it was much harder to get a ticket. It was harder to get into fan parks. It was harder to get into pubs to watch it. So I wouldn't say I've had the full tournament experience of watching Scotland that one yet, but it was definitely much better watching Scotland at a tournament than not watching Scotland at a tournament. Results aside, I, I still very much enjoyed it. Me and my pals who did watch the games together really sort of did buy into the the hype, bought into the sort of tournament atmosphere of it. And if that's the first one and it's 
not quite got all the ingredients you would expect from France 98, it's a good sign for when we do get back to pubs and to stadiums, hugging each other, all that sort of nonsense. See, I, I thought about this, right, because again, I, I'd made the vow of going, well, I've always said if this happened, it'd be the, it'd be the best four weeks of my life. So I'm going to make it the four best weeks of my life, right? So I full on was uh, fully in gripped in Euros fever. I watched pretty much every game, bar one or two, and even in a sort of highlights. And I, I, I went and watched the Scotland games with different people. So I watched one with my family. I watched one of my, my friends. I watched one uh, with my wife as well. So I kind of had the full gamut of people who I'd want to be around for it and stuff like that. And uh, so I, I met, and like, you got to go to pubs again. So I got to go to a pub again, watch the football with people. And I went to the Croatia Czech Republic game. And bearing in mind, the only time I usually go to Hamden is to go see Queen's Park. It was like 24 times the capacity that it usually is when I go to Hamden. So it was, it was not as um, dead as a, as maybe other people thought or whatever. But, um, and then obviously get just getting to see your friends and stuff like that and being able to go to the pub and things like that and just following the tournament. And then, Matt, I, I know this is probably sacrilege to say it. I'm quite glad England got to the final and crashed out because the jeopardy, just the, the, the sheer nerve-shredding terror of like the three days before of going, fuck, England might win this. And then they don't. Just the moment where they didn't, nothing can come close to that in terms of just the, the high stakes nature of it for me. So if England had won it, I'd be like, no, the Euros have been terrible. This is fucking awful. It's been a worst four weeks of my life. But the fact they lost in the final and Scotland's, you know, we, I think we, 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 maybe not on the pitch, even then, I don't know, but like, like the fans, we acquitted ourselves, like, it was just really nice being able to go about and seeing people with Scotland flags at their windows, everyone just supporting Scotland, where obviously we're a very divisive nation at times, you know, about the old farm and independence and stuff like that, but largely speaking, everyone outside of weirdos, uh, generally supported Scotland and got wrapped up in it and like people who didn't watch football. Like, I have a friend, one of our best pals, who doesn't watch football, but her husband will watch the Euros. He only really, he's one of these people that only watches the tournaments or whatever. And um, he was watching it and um, his his wife ended up watching it with him on the day of the insane two games, the France, Switzerland, Spain, Croatia, and totally just loved it, just totally fell in love with the Euros and became completely entranced with it and we watched it with them as well and stuff and it was just, I, yeah, I, I loved it. I went to the pub and got pissed and met all my friends and saw Scotland and then had the high stakes moment England not winning it and yeah, I don't know, I, I think it was, I think, I think it reached the heights. So when we can actually go and stuff like that and like have the full experience, I can't imagine what it's going to be like now. It was a really Great tournament. I think that helps. I think going into it, I was a wee bit concerned because my memory of Euro 2016 was the football wasn't great. There was a lot of, because of the new format with the 24 teams, there was a lot of playing for draws and that's really how Portugal ended up winning the thing, just drawing a lot of games and winning on penalties or winning an extra time. Yeah. And I think this Euro's teams took a totally different look at it and thought, hang on, we only need to win one game in this group and we're through. And I think the group stages were a lot more entertaining. We got some great knockout games, as you said. And I think you made a good point about the jeopardy of the 
the England game, it really was like the perfect way for them not to win it. Like if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know I'm quite into the the Josie Mourinho uh, memory and giffery and the the gif of Josie Mourinho hurling water bottles when he was the Man United manager when they scored a last minute winner, just because he's got he's releasing all this anger. Uh, the uh, how his how his team have played his relief that they've done it is joy. It was all that when England missed that last penalty. It was ang- anger that they had the cheek to get that far, and UEFA had the cheek <laughs> to give them soft penalties and let them play all their games at Wembley. It was the relief that they didn't win it and football didn't come home, and it was the joy that we could just get it right up them and right up Rio Ferdinand. It, it was a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful finale to a very entertaining tournament. See, I, because I, um, you mentioned Euro 2016, right? So, like, in my 20s, I didn't really drink much. I go to the pub and drink like one pint, two at the most. I did not drink much, and I, I didn't get a hangover until I was at like, 29, right? Because I just didn't drink enough. And then, I, I'm not going to say it's just because of you, Matt, right? But ever since I started going to festival games and going to the Woodies, uh, and obviously going to the away days and stuff like that with you and Mark and all that. I drink far more than I used to and I get far more pissed than I ever used to. And Euro 2016 was the first tournament I spent most of it in the pub because I worked round the corner from a pub and uh, I spent pretty much the whole tournament in the pub when I wasn't at work. And uh, So I have very fond memories of Euro 2016. It was also the the year of Albania mania. I'm a big Albania fan, so like that was my Scotland until Scotland qualified was when Albania got to Euro 2016. So I'm probably higher on it than most people, despite the football being quite shy at times. But um, yeah, like blown away by Euro 2020. There was so many good games as well, and yeah, just the jeopardy of England getting there. And then I am—I um, don't know if you've ever heard of the Quickly Kevin podcast. Um, it's like a '90s football podcast, but they went current to review the Euros, and they're all English. And um, right, I had right. to stop. I had to stop listening. Like it's my favourite podcast, apart from obviously this. But. Um, I had to stop listening because it was just all about free lions and England going all the way. And he had Matt Ford on talking about how England's, it's England's destiny to win the tournament and all that. And I had to stop. And then the second the penalty like gets saved, I was like, I can't wait for tomorrow for when they release this podcast of them all greeting. It's going to be fucking marvellous. Just, and it was. I listened to it today. They'd done a, a minute by minute update of them like reacting to certain moments. Just the moment where they missed it in their voices. Nectar, Matt. Nectar. Um, absolute ambrosia. I loved it. Anything that annoys Matt Ford is, is for me an absolute pie of a man. I could hear um, him in the background <laughs> getting raging because he missed shots and stuff like that. And it was, oh, it was, yeah, getting the blood Superb, superb. We'll wrap it there, David. Um, thanks very much if you've decided to stay to the end of this. Um, this slightly short and uh, sparse uh, draw those or draw episode thanks to Craig G. Telfer for joining us to preview the Stenhouse Muir game if you have any questions for next week's episode we'll hopefully be back up to a full complement of four panellists get in touch You, we might even put out a poll what will happen first will draw those or draw return to a full panel or will Partick Thistle be able to name a full bench that'll be quite <laughs> an interesting one to keep an eye on but we will be back next week to look ahead to the St Mirren Cup tie and look back on hopefully a couple of wins against Stenhouse, Muir and Dumbarton. In the meantime, stay safe and buy a season ticket. Bye.